Friendship isn't the big things, it's a million little things. Welcome friends, to the A Million Little TV Shows podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and I'll be delving into TV shows that I feel don't seem to get enough love. Over the course of the pod, we'll break down episodes and talk about my thoughts and feelings on the shows. Well, hello there. Welcome back to A Million Little TV Shows podcast. This is episode 11 of season 2, and we are really cracking through these episodes now. We're nearly at the end of season 2, and overall, this is episode 24, which, as I said last time, I can't believe that I ended up getting to nearly a quarter of a century. I'm slowly getting there, so just takes time. But today, as I'm sure you already know, we're going into the newsroom again, and we're going to be covering season 2, episodes 4 to 6. Now, I know I should probably do this every episode, but I don't, especially with these longer series. But let's have a little recap on what's been going on so far. So we've had Will, who is the lead character, and after calling the Tea Party, the American Taliban, feels like he's getting shunned by his own fans because they don't want to see him on screen anymore. And he feels like he's let people down even though, in this case, this political organisation needed to be taken down. Mac is trying to support him through this, but is also working on a major story with a guy named Jerry, who came up from Washington, but everyone is suspicious of him because they think he's out to make a name for himself. But he's been given a tip about American soldiers using chemical weapons on civilians, and he and Mac and a few others are trying to prove that it happened. This also includes Charlie. The reason that Jerry is there is because Jim, after everything that went on with Maggie, has gone away on tour with the Romney campaign. And while he is reporting from the bus, he instructed Mac to bring Jerry up from DC. As the team are all being spoken to about this story that Jerry brought up, we see the interviews with the lawyer, Rebecca Halliday, who is the lawyer for AWM. So we see each character being deposed. Maggie is one of those characters, and we see a different side to Maggie this season due to all we know so far is something that happened when she went out on assignment to Africa. This was after everything that happened with her and Jim, and now her and Don have split up as well. So I think that's as much as I'm willing to give right now because I've written my notes just for the episodes and not for the bit before. So don't want to give too much away because I've now watched all these episodes. So I think it's now time to start getting into this again. So let's start. Episode 4, Unintended Consequences. So once again, we see that Maggie is speaking to Rebecca Halliday about everything that went on with Operation Genoa. Maggie tells them that her and Jerry met with a General Stontomovich because he might be able to give them more information about chemical weapons and, and how they're stored, but also whether Genoa happened. But now that Maggie is back in America after being in Africa, she has a totally different attitude. Her hair has been cut and dyed red. She used to have shoulder length hair and now it is sort of very punk rock, short and styled. It's a totally new look for her. But because of this, Rebecca is concerned about Maggie's state of mind and she questions her on this. 
because she knows from Will that there was an incident while Maggie was out in Uganda. This is because Jerry, in his statements, has accused Maggie of not being in the right state of mind and being on meds when she met the general, because according to Jerry, Maggie knows that the general said it happened, and by it, he meant Genoa. But now Jerry believes that Maggie has got cold feet when the shit hit the fan. So Maggie begins to tell her story of Uganda, and her and Gary Cooper, again, yes, that is his name, but on the day that they're flying out, Will is having an interview with Shelley Wexler from OWS, which has been arranged by Neil. So Neil is prepping Shelley in the makeup room, but while he's in there, Jerry comes in and asks to speak to him regarding the tweeter, Hamney 8, who was a witness to Operation Genoa, to see if Neil had been in contact with him. Neil, however, tells him that the guy's cell plan might have ran out or he might be dead, but we can't be certain. So Jerry is very frustrated by this and essentially says we are going to need a miracle to find out what the hell happened and we need it to just drop out the sky. At this point, Shelley Wexler is walking out to set and as a passing comment, she tells Neil that she will have to take him to meet this guy because apparently he has information about America using chemical weapons. And it's here that Jerry realises he's hit gold. They go after her and she agrees to take them to the park after the interview with Will. But when she gets on set, Will is screwing around with her. He pretends like he's talking to Mac, when actually Mac's not saying anything, and he's hoping that Shelley will reply to him. So things like, do I look good? And she'll say, yeah. And then he'll tap his earpiece as if he's talking to his producers. And then just as he comes back from his break, he ends up tearing into Shelley and the whole OWS movement about having no leaders, no clear vision, no way to get across what they actually want. And he asks her, do you think you aren't being taken seriously by the media because you aren't serious? And it's at that point, she's furious. Once she comes off set, she tells Neil to go fuck himself and ends up kicking him in the balls. Jerry goes after her after she leaves, but he can't see her out on the street, and that's it. Now, Shelley in this whole scene feels like that she's been... She feels like she's been misrepresented, and she feels like she's been singled out. But the point is that they have a good message, or they had a good message when they started but they seem to have lost their way. And that's the big problem here. They don't seem to want to be part of government, but they want government to change. They don't want to seem part of the media, but they want the media to change. They want people to be held to account, but they're trying to hold too many people to account. And one of the questions that Will asks is, if you were to get what you wanted, would this ever stop? And Shelley says no, and it just doesn't seem right. Fight for a cause, 100%, as much as you want, as long as it's non-violent. I will say that. But fighting for a cause with no end, what's the point? Again, I can understand fighting for one cause, getting what you want, or getting a good way to what you want, and then fighting for another cause, or fighting for several causes at the same time, as long as they've got a clear message for each cause. But this didn't seem to have any. At the start it did, but what do I know? So Jim and Hallie have now been kicked off the bus, along with another, because of the way that Jim acted 
and try to get them to rally round and basically prove that the politicians need the media. The media don't need the politicians. But no one really stood with them apart from Halley and this other guy. So they've been kicked off the bus. But that also means the benefit of having hotel bookings, which would have been provided by the campaign. But now they have nothing. So while they're down in reception trying to sort all this out, Taylor Warren comes past and rubs it in their faces, essentially saying, if you say that Romney is the greatest, I'll happily give you one of the rooms that we've already rented out. But if you don't, you'll have to sort your own accommodation out. And Jim says, well, I'll say that if you give me 30 minutes with Romney. And Taylor just looks at him and says, and just says, I hate the press. To which Jim points out that she shouldn't really be saying that because she's Romney's press secretary. So back to Maggie, now that she and Gary are out in Uganda, they were told that they would be visiting an orphanage to do a human interest piece to show that the army out there are doing good. They're helping build extensions on orphanages, helping build schools, that kind of thing. And it's the only reason that they were allowed to go because of all the dangers that were happening in and around the time that they wanted to leave. So when they go into the actual school that's there, Maggie walks into the classroom as they're being taught geography and all the kids look at her in wonder. It probably would have been very rare that they would have seen a white woman like that without a uniform on. But because this school and this area have issues with sheep rustlers generally holding guns as soon as gary walks in who is a black man with a camera all the kids think that he's about to shoot them so they all freak out and maggie and the teacher and gary have to calm the situation down but during the issue maggie notices a young boy daniel he didn't move he didn't hide under a desk he just stood against a wall and he was holding a book and he just looked terrified clutching onto this book so back in the States, Shelley eventually speaks to Neil and her demand to take Neil to go and see the guy about the chemical weapons issue is that Will needs to apologise on air and Mac just laughs at it and says that's never going to happen. And when Neil asks, why can't we just ask him? Mac says, Will can't know about this whole weapons thing because I need him to be on the red team and he can't know anything about this story until then but if we ask him to apologize to Shelley he's gonna ask questions and why it's so important but because Mac is now thinking about having a red team who is gonna go over all the evidence with fresh eyes and try and pick holes in it Jerry knows that Mac is starting to believe this so while Jim and Hallie are in the car traveling behind the bus to try and keep up with the Romney campaign Hallie gets a call from her boss and because she's hooked up her phone to the car's Bluetooth, it comes through on the speaker. And he basically tells her that she's worthless to him right now because she's not on the bus. And the people on the bus are getting exclusives and they're already writing about it. So he's hearing news that she should have and she doesn't have it because she's trying to be moral. She's trying to be a smart ass. And because he's a private investor, he tells her that if he wanted to pay someone $200 for doing what she's doing, he'd prefer he pay her $200 a day to put on some heels and fuck him for an hour because that's all he's worth to her right now. Jim ends up, so of course, regretting the whole thing now, hooking the car up to the Bluetooth, etc. She's mortified. But of course, Jim can't help but have a little dig at her and he ends up coming off as smug. I mean, I get it with Jim. He's trying to be up there and show that 
she deserves better and what she's actually doing job wise because she's part of new media and not old media like Jim is. She shouldn't have to answer to people like that. But of course she does. She has to have investors. I'm not saying that the guy was right. He's an arsehole. Shouldn't say that to a woman ever. But Jim didn't need to be smug about it at that particular point. Uh, Well, Jim shouldn't have been smug about it at all. And she had faith in him to jump off that bus and come with him on this journey. And he could have at least supported her in that. But I think he realised that he was being a dick. Matt goes to speak to Charlie about Shelley and the guy from the park that Shelley knows. And he tells her just to fix it with Will. If that's what she wants, essentially, tell Will that he needs to. So when she asks Will to apologise, explaining why she hadn't told him till now, and that he may be needed as part of a red team, he tells her that he understands that she doesn't have to keep him in the dark. She should have just said that, but he tells her he won't apologise. So Mac ends up going to speak to Sloane. Sloane, however, when she goes to meet Shelley, is really nice at first. Seems really sweet, is trying her best to make an apology, but Shelley sees straight through it and says, you asked Will, he said no, so you've sent this woman down here. And because of that, Sloane ends up being smug. And Shelley ends up walking off because Shelley finds Sloane condescending. But also, Shelley is pretty condescending at the same time. Back in Uganda, Maggie learns more about Daniel. And when she actually properly meets him, he just wants her to read to him again and again from the book that he was clutching onto. And it seems like Daniel is dropped at the school every time his family are having issues with the cattle raiders. Now, I know I said sheep raiders earlier, but I was wrong. Cattle raiders. Daniel becomes obsessed with Maggie's hair, and the teacher tells Maggie that he'll have never seen hair like that before, because they've stayed too long. Maggie and Gary want to get on the road again, but are told by the guy who's taken them there that it's not possible. Nightfall isn't too far away. And the roads that they need to travel on are way too dangerous. When Maggie asks the army if they can go with them, they tell her, no, we have to move out. We're actually going to be getting on a plane and going to Djibouti. So it means that Maggie and Gary are going to have to stay the night. So back on the Romney campaign, Jim is causing causing all kinds of trouble. When he speaks to Taylor Warren again, she's just trying to have a drink. And he goes over and speaks about religion with her and what's Romney's thoughts on certain issues. And she tells Jim, fuck you, that's Romney's official statement. And then realises her error. She tells him that she was wrong and that she'll give him whatever he wants. And just then we see Taylor go over to Hallie and tell her something that she's excited about. Hallie's just been given 30 minutes with Romney. So like I say, Jim realised he was being smug. So Neil is now desperate to try and get someone to speak to Shelley, who is going to appease her. But this time it's Don. Don tells her that she can come on his show. She can come on 10 o'clock. She can talk about what she wants to talk about. And they will give her as much time as she wants. And she can talk about any of the subjects that she wants when it comes to OWS. But she asks if she can have time to talk about her experience on Will's show. And Don tells her, absolutely not. You can't just come on and air your grievances about someone else on our network. That's not how this is going to work. And she refuses again to give Neil any information. While up in his hotel room with Hallie and the other guy, 
Jim gets a call from Mac and she's furious at him because Taylor Warren has called her and told her that Jim gave up 30 minutes with the candidate. So she yells at Jim just as Hallie is leaving the room and Hallie realises that she didn't get it off her own merits. It was because he was trying to be chivalrous after being a dick all day and tells him to write the story himself. Will ends up going to see Shelley because it's the only thing that can be done now. He apologises for the way that he'd been on screen with her, but he doesn't apologise for what was said. He admits that OWS has some good points, and he agrees to talk about them more, but he tells her that she's not qualified to speak about what she's trying to convey. Shelley admits that she was terrible on the show, and she tells Will that she will show Neil where this guy is, but Will tells her, you don't need to, we've already found him. His name's Leon Deet. And she realises that Will has come down out of the goodness of his heart to apologise. Mac and Jerry go to see Charlie. And she tells him that Leon D has described the effects of Seren. And they believe that he was also involved in this Operation Genoa. And they begin to believe that this story could be real. Jim has been told that he has to go back to New York. And while he's sat out of his hotel room just away from everyone... Hallie comes down and speaks to him. She apologises for blowing up at him and ends up kissing him. Maggie describes what happened to her. The night out in Uganda, she tells them that while they slept, she was awoken by a noise, a pop-pop in the distance. And then again, another pop-pop, and she realised what it was. It was gunshot. They had to escape and get on the bus as these noises were coming closer. But as they went to get on the bus, Maggie realises that Daniel isn't there. She goes back into the school and she finds him under her bed where she slept that night. She eventually gets him out, but as they run to the bus, she hears Gary behind her fall. And as she turns, there's a pop-pop. Maggie and Gary get on the bus and, and as she sits in her seat, she watches Daniel in the aisle bleeding out as he dies. Because of the incident, Maggie and Gary are brought straight back to America. And as she's speaking to Rebecca Holiday, she tells her that Jerry's wrong. She wasn't affected by her meds because she hasn't been taking any. She's been prescribed them, but she hasn't took any. And the reason that she cut off her hair is because she couldn't stand to look at it anymore. Because Daniel was so obsessed with it. And she tells Rebecca that she's not fucked up. Episode 5, News Night with Will McAvoy. So Will is just about to go live with a broadcast, but just then his phone goes and he sees that it's his father ringing. But obviously with him about to go to air, he can't do anything. And you can see that Will is visibly pissed off by this. So during the break, Will listens to the message that was on his phone. And it's not from his dad, but actually it's a paramedic who is telling him that Will's dad has gone into hospital and he was the first port of contact and he's had a suspected heart attack. So when he tells Mac about this, she tells him that he's got a call because he'll make his day when he wakes up. Will agrees to call, but he says he'll do it during the next break. It's when this happens that Neil walks in and tells Will that there's something on Twitter about him. Will is still in this state of trying to make his reputation better again after the whole tea party event. And according to someone on Twitter, Will has snubbed them when they approached him in the restaurant. But actually... Will's account of things is, he didn't snub them, he was on his way out of the restaurant, and someone came up to him, said hello, and he said hello back, before walking away. During the break, Mac comes back in and asks if Will has spoken to his father, and he tells her that he hasn't, and she advises that he calls, he really needs to make contact with his dad. 
But once again, Neil comes in and again, there is another issue on Twitter. This same person is tweeting about how they've essentially lost a viewer and Will is more invested in that than his own father at this point. But after Mac dresses down Neil because of his insistence with Twitter and Will, Neil tells her that he's found a hashtag called hashtag Newsnight. And according to one of the tweets from the newsroom, one of the guests on Will's show that night is going to be called coming out as gay and Mac knows that she needs to shut this down because the story around it shouldn't be exploited for someone else to be able to come out. So Mac goes to speak to the guest Jesse who wants to come on the show regarding a man who was outed by someone else and had the power taken away from them and ended up killing themselves due to the fact that they weren't ready to come out yet. And Mac tells Jesse that coming on the show to tell your parents that you're gay isn't the right way to do this. You're trying to make yourself a D-list celebrity. It's not fair to the memory of the person who died that you are benefiting off the back of it. And Mac tells him that if he'd have been straight about this in the first place and told the producers that that was his aim, they wouldn't have even booked him on the show. And I understand where Mac's coming from on this. If the segment was about people that wanted to come out as gay, I could maybe understand it, but it's not about that. It's not about him at this point. It's about the person who died, who had this horrific thing happen to them that wasn't ready to show the world them true selves. For him to try and piggyback off the back of that, to try and tell his own story, to make it his own story, really, it feels a little bit gross. Eventually, Matt goes back in to see Will and asks him if he spoke to his father. And Will tells her that he did call and he did get through, but it was his sister that he spoke to and that actually his father died. And Will, at this point, has done the whole broadcast with this weighing on his shoulders. And you could see throughout each segment, this is affecting the way that he is presenting the news. So within the last segment, just as Mac has left the newsroom, the cameras come back on and Will sits for a moment without even looking at the screen and everyone in the gallery is freaking out because they don't know what to do. They can't go to commercial, there are no more commercials and Will is just sat. They can't cut to Washington because they're not ready and Will is still just sat. And then he turns to the camera and says something along the lines of what he said for the 9-11 coverage. He just uses the words, well, I guess it's just us now, and then continues as the professional that he is. But that, for me, is one of those moments that, even now as I've just said it, it got the hairs on my arms standing up. It's a sweet moment, and for someone who has also lost their dad, in that moment when you find out that you've lost them, you feel numb. I didn't know what to do when I lost my dad. Um, We weren't particularly close at the end, but I just kind of shut down a little bit. I was going away to see a friend in another city and my whole attitude was just, okay, so he's no longer there. And I felt numb. Part of me still feels numb. And it's been 15 years, 12 to 15 years. So yeah, I genuinely feel for Will in that moment. It must have been so hard to be sat on camera and have that and have to be professional and After everything with Jesse, Mac finds out there's a problem with a 911 tape that has already been aired and they realise they missed a question. So Mac has to pull the plug on what Jesse was going to say on air anyway. She goes in and she tells him that she has to pull the segment and he's not happy about it. But she tells him that 
she wouldn't have put him on air anyway. She'd prefer to put collar bars up before she put him on air. He was exploiting someone. He was exploiting the death of someone that he claimed to know, but didn't even really know. And it wasn't fair. So if he wants to come out, it's not that type of show. So due to the fact that Sloane has been caught up in a scandal, Charlie and Reese are having to talk to her about what's gone on. It turns out that some photos have appeared online of Sloane in a state of undress. Is probably the best way to put it. Charlie is trying to defend Sloane and telling Reese that it's not her. And at first Sloane has claimed it wasn't her. But Reese tells Charlie that they've had all their experts looking into this and the photos haven't been doctored. And Charlie says, it's, but it's not her. And Reese tells him she needs to stop wearing that damn necklace then. And then Sloane admits that she did take the photos. She was with someone at the time. She bought him a camera and thought it was going to be just fun. And he ended up taking these pictures and they can't do anything. Reese points out that she posed for the pictures. So there's no wrongdoing there. It wasn't like she was manipulated. She gave the camera willingly. So essentially, he owns the camera and therefore the contents of the camera. They have no legal recourse in all of this. So Sloane is just feeling let down by this guy and men in general, probably. And she goes and ends up sitting in Don's office and hiding. Don, however, has found out that he has been the source of a story where he made up a name of a group as a joke regarding something to do with President Obama and was just being flippant. But someone has cited him as a worthy correspondent and published a story online about this whole thing. So Don now needs to go and clear that up. But when he walks into his office, he calls this guy and can't get in contact with him. And so and so is frustrated, but then hears Sloane's voice and she asks him what's going on. But she's been sat in the dark. And Sloane tells him everything about what's gone on. And she's heartbroken because she's going to have to ring her dad and tell him everything that's happened. Because apparently he Googles her every morning. And that's the last thing that she wants him to see without her telling him what's going on. And because of the scandal, she asks to be pulled from Don's show that night. And Don agrees to it. Then Don explains his story to Sloane. And Sloane asks him, why haven't you spoken to an editor yet? They can get it taken down. And so he calls the guy. And this bit is a really sweet moment from Sloane. Though with everything that's going on with her, every time I see it, it makes me smile because I forget how down she is. But this clip, every now and again, just plays in my head. And it's only when I watch the series that I remember how shit it was for her in that episode. But she's talking to Don and Don tells her that he has to call a guy called Mr. Munch. And he tells her that you can't laugh during this call. And she's like, oh, what am I going to do? Because I'm so jolly right now like yeah that's the that's the thing i'm gonna do and he gets on the call he puts it on speakerphone and as soon as the man answers he goes mr munch and she just giggles anyway don sorts out the situation by essentially doing what don does best and yelling down the phone at this guy telling him that he's made a mistake and that he was the source to this story and the man tells him that yeah but We've got other sources. And he says, no, you haven't, because I made up the fucking name. So just change the story or take it down. Sloane, feeling a bit better about everything after speaking to Don, goes off and sees the man that essentially did this to her in his offices where he works. As she walks in, she asks him to go outside to chat with him a little bit. And this guy's such a fucking Wall Street prick. And as he's just about to walk out, Sloane knees him in the nuts and then right hooks him with a beautiful punch. And then 
then storms out like an absolute boss. I fucking love that scene. And as this guy comes after her, trying to talk to her, Don's just stood there, puts his hand on his this guy's chest and goes, no, no, as if, no, no, you know what you did. You're a fucking asshole. Take your punishment and enjoy your aching balls. It was brilliant. So the big story of the night is discussing bombings in Syria. But while they're doing so, Jim gets a call through. And while they're talking about this Syrian man being trapped and his wife on the other end of the phone trying to get him essentially on TV, the man says, thank God. When he speaks to Mac, Mac understands straight away and says, if you're going to do this, make sure it's right. We don't need any more shit. Do the right thing. So Jim gets a few of the staffers to try and help him out, try and find out where this guy is. Maggie, however, is downloading the 911 tape I discussed earlier. And as she's doing so, Jim comes and stands behind her. But the problem is that at this point, this file is taking way too long to download. Now, I don't understand the logistics of what is going on there because they say that it's taking too long to download because everyone is downloading it at the same time. But for me, it feels like if that is an email, surely they're not all downloading from the same source. But anyway, it may have been a link that they've gone to a file, they're downloading the file. I don't know. I'm not sure. But I thought it was just a zip file. So anyway, if they weren't downloading it, we wouldn't get the great seeds between Jim and Maggie. So I'll take what I can get. But while Jim is sat with Maggie and they're waiting on this tape to download, he tells her that she should switch to vodka because it's less easy to detect. And she asks him what he means. And he says, we can tell that you're going out and getting drunk and that you're not taking care of yourself. But she asks if anyone has said anything about her performance. She's still doing her job right, so it shouldn't matter what she does on an evening. That's her own issues. And Jim tells her he's got no problem with her performance. She's doing well, but he's concerned about her. She tells Jim that because of everything that's gone on with her since she went to Africa, the whole thing with her yelling at the bus... She feels like she's got no one, so occasionally she likes to go out and have a drink and maybe hook up with a guy just so she doesn't have to go home to be with Lisa where she doesn't really want to be. So it's just a comfort thing. Eventually Maggie gets the 911 call ready and it goes to air. But as I said before, they miss something important in one of the questions. And Jim asks Maggie whether she heard the tape properly. She says, I know what a 911 tape sounds like. I was just rushed for time. I was trying to edit something that needed to be on air as soon as possible and time was against us. So I just missed it. But of course, with the question of her drinking, Jim has to question what's going on. Jim also finds out the identity of the man who is trapped and is trying to get his story on air. Turns out that he's actually in the city and nowhere near Syria at the time. And Jim keeps him on the line and then Max speaks to the man trapped and tells him that he and his wife are in big trouble because they know his name, they know his apartment, and any second now, there's going to be a man banging on his door. It's going to be their landlord, and he's going to have the police with them. So after everything that's gone on that night with Will's dad, the 911 tape, the issue with Sloan, the issue with Jesse, Mac feels like she's finally got a fucking win. After his meeting with Reese and Sloan. Charlie has another very important meeting. He speaks to a guy who just claims that he's a regular guy. Turns out that he's actually a spy and Charlie knows this and has got him as a source for stories before. So he decides to ask him about Genoa and while he's doing so this man denies 
that he is a spy at all. But then this man gives him a hypothetical situation that sounds awfully like Genoa. And then the spy hands Charlie a manifest, which includes all items that Charlie generally recognises, except for one, being a former military man and also being in the job that he's been in for so long. He knows what this kind of document looks like, and he knows that certain items on it, if you can't place what they are, it means they're covering something up. He takes the evidence to Mac, and Mac sees exactly the same thing. There's an item on this list recorded about being Operation Genoa, and they recognise this one item and essentially label it as being Serin. So now they've got documented evidence with a government stamp on it, and the first time they've seen the name Operation Genoa written on official paperwork. Episode 6, One Step Too Many. So Mac, Jerry and Charlie, plus the rest of the team, are now presenting their findings regarding Operation Genoa to the first red team, and this team consists of Don, Sloan and Jim. They explain that they've got Silas West, Sweeney, the tweets from Hamney 8, Leon Dietz, and now Charlie's anonymous source, and it all points in the direction that it happened. The red team just cannot believe what they're hearing, and they turn to Charlie to be the voice of reason on this, but he thinks that with all the evidence they've got, how can they not think it's true? Or how can they not continue to investigate? Jerry tells them that they've got 30 soldiers that they're trying to contact, but 29 of them won't talk, and one, Herman Valenzuela, is dead. So their next port of call is speaking to a general who they believe is well informed about the mission. This is General Storm Tonovich, who Maggie was earlier attesting to when she was speaking to Rebecca Halliday. So initially, Mac and Charlie both go and meet the general regarding how chemical weapons are stored to try and get a read on him for this whole story. And when they get there, the general seems quite forgetful. He only spoke to them the day before. And when they arrive, he's hoping that they're Jehovah's Witnesses because he likes to mess around with them. Eventually he remembers who Mac and Charlie are and he informs them that the US still has chemical weapons and they never actually got rid of them when they agreed to do so. But throughout the meeting, he's totally distracted by the basketball game that's going on. It's apparently March Madness, and he just wants to watch the games. The general also speaks about Serin without even being prompted. And when Charlie hands him the document that he's received from his informant, the general admits that it is authentic. Charlie and Mac ask if he's willing to be filmed talking about chemical weapons so they can continue with the story. And he tells them that he agrees to go on camera, but he wants his voice altered, and he wants his face blacked out. He also tells them that they're going to be doing it at his house, because he wants to be watching the basketball while they conduct the interview. So Mac and Charlie tell him that Jerry Dantana is going to be coming through, and that that is who the general's going to be speaking to on this matter. So when Mac gets back to the office... She goes out drinking with Don, and while she's there, Don asks her to consider the consequences of running this story, because he fears that US embassies might be a target, and that protests will be held once this story comes out, so she needs to consider everything before doing so. But she tells Don that it's the right of the people to know if their government is doing things that are illegal, 
So Jerry goes to the general's house, and when he arrives, he's with Maggie and a few techs. But when Jerry tells the general that it's going to be him and Maggie conducting the interview, he tells Jerry that you're the only one I had investigated, so she's going to have to leave, because I don't know who she is. I was told it was just you who was coming through, and I have no record of her. So they get everything set up for the interview, and the game is on in the background. But because of the way that Jerry has shot the room, the game is going to also be in the shot, which he says that they can just blur out later. So Maggie steps out of the room, but as she does, Jerry asks the question, you understand we're here to talk about Genoa? And Stom Tomovich comes back with, it happened, and then Maggie is no longer in the room. Jerry starts rolling the camera, and the general tells him that extreme means were needed to extract the guys but he won't confirm whether Serin was used, even though Jerry's prompting him. Each time Jerry asks about Serin, the general comes back with if Serin was used, and never says Serin was used. After the interview, Jerry heads back to the studio, and ends up doctoring the raw footage, so it sounds like the general actually says, we used Serin, and this is shown to everyone in the group, including the first red team, but, Char- but Charlie's still not willing to put this on air just yet. He says the story isn't ready, which really starts to frustrate Jerry, because this is going to be a major story. It was then that they ended up getting a call from Lieutenant Herman Valenzuela, who they believed to be dead, but it turns out that there was two at the same rank, and that they'd picked up the wrong one when they'd actually found his records. The other Herman Valenzuela had been on a mission and had only just come back to find out that he'd got phone calls regarding what had been going on, and he agrees to meet with them. So at the end of the episode, Charlie tells Rebecca that they had all this evidence, and it pointed in the direction that the government had committed a war crime, and it was only after the story aired that they realised none of it was true. So now that Jim is back in New York, after being on the Romney campaign, but being told to come home by Mac, because of him dropping the interview with Romney, to Hallie. He and Hallie are now dating, and she's coming into town with the campaign, so they agree to meet up and go to dinner. But as they're going, she tells him that she's got someone coming with her, and that maybe he could bring Neil so that they could meet and maybe hang out. Sort of a double date deal. And after a bit of apprehension, Jim agrees to it. So when Jim and Neil go and meet Hallie, Taylor Warren turns up, and it turns out that Hallie has also invited Taylor out with them. Maggie, however, has gone out for a drink on her own, and she's sat in a hotel bar. But after someone sends a drink over, you can see that she's reflecting on things that Jim said before. She thanks the man for the drink, but just tells him that she wants to be on her own with her own thoughts right now. And he understands. Don is also out drinking, and as we already know, he gets joined by Mac. But when Mac first joins him, she asks where everyone else is. And he tells them that Neil and Jim are out on a double date. Maggie's God knows where. And Sloane, don't know. And Mac tells him that she has gone out on a date, to which he seems stunned at. And Mac tells him that she thought that those two would have got together after him and Maggie. But he tells her that he feels a bit awkward about the situation because he's essentially her boss sometimes. So it just wouldn't sit right and probably wouldn't look right either. It would feel like he'd manipulate her in some way by being her boss, or that's how it would seem on the outside. So back at dinner with Jim, he and Taylor keep sniping back and forth at each other, and when he suggests that 
Taylor should have told Romney to appear on a network where he isn't popular and answer questions that he didn't want to answer, that maybe it would have helped his campaign. And as his press secretary, she should have been the one to arrange that. She tells him that she did suggest it and she ended up getting fired for it. So while she's drinking in the bar, Maggie chats a bit with the bartender. But it turns out that the bar that she's at is actually the one where Hallie is staying. And it's at this point that Jim and Hallie come back from their dinner and and Jim goes over to speak to Maggie. Even though Maggie knows that Jim and Hallie are dating, he's a little bit sheepish around her and tells her that he's going to fix her computer. And it feels a little awkward while he's talking to her. But eventually Jim and Hallie go upstairs. And once they get to the room, Hallie gets a phone call. And turns out that she has to leave straight away and be on a flight because they've added an extra stop to the campaign, so she has to leave immediately. So after Hallie leaves, Jim goes downstairs and speaks to So after Hallie leaves, Jim goes downstairs and sees Maggie still at the bar, and he speaks to her about what's been going on, her drinking, the whole Africa thing, just everything. And he tells her that the job that they work in, and especially the story that's coming out, she needs to be careful when she's drinking and needs to watch what she says to people because if this story comes out too soon could be really big and she tells him that she is good at keeping a secret she kept one for months from him because he didn't know anything about this story and she would always have him as the first port of call and then maggie ends up leaving with the bartender and now on to mr mcavoy not james mcavoy will mcavoy you get where i'm going with this so because charlie has told will that he's not allowed to find out his ratings from Reese, Will has decided to conduct his own poll. But because of this, he's now found out that people don't trust him anymore because of what he said at the end of last season. And so he's looking for ways to get his likability rating up and get the trust back of the public. And now that he's seen Nina Howard, she starts to give him advice on how to be more likable. And now we see why he's so focused on the numbers again, because she's got in his ear about how he's not liked anymore. Nina tells him that he needs to get on the morning show because they're a lot more fun and it'll show a less serious side of him and it'll show a reason for people to love him again. And because he's basically the star of ACN, he could pretty much ring up at any time and say, I'm going on, and they'll have to let him on. So that's what he does. He calls the editor and tells him that he's coming on in the morning and they allow him on. But Will ends up getting embarrassed on the morning show because they say that they're going to donate some money to charity because they heard that Will was a former quarterback and therefore they try and get him to throw an American football around for a while in the studio to catch his aim and see if he can make some money for charity and Will ends up taking out a lighting column because he's so pissed off at the premise and it's made him realise that the ratings don't matter he doesn't have to be popular he just has to do the news and so when he gets backstage, he speaks to Nina, who says she didn't think it went that badly. And he says, the first thing that I need to do is me and you break up because he's let her corrupt him for too long now, which I totally agree with. Will shouldn't be looking for popularity points. He doesn't need it. He just needs to deliver the news in an impartial way to inform the public of what's going on in the country. Have a balanced argument, but point out the flaws in the arguments that are already there, like he did when he was on stage at Northwestern at the very start of this show. That's what he needs to do. He needs to be able to give a measured argument, not too far on the left, not too far on the right, but make sure that if people are talking bollocks, 
that he calls them out on it, regardless of where their political allegiances lie. And that's what journalism should be. I'm not a journalist myself, so I can't speak on that. But I'd respect a journalist a lot more if they gave a balanced argument. And if their party or their candidate was talking absolute shite, prefer them to go, but what about this? And what about this? And we need to talk about this. And you're avoiding the question. Call them out on their shit and call the opposition party out on their shit as well. I just think that politicians get away way too much with stuff that they do. There's a reason it's called politicking, because they don't give a measured argument. They don't give a real answer to anything. And I think they need to be held accountable more. That isn't what this podcast is about. That's not what I wanted to do here. That is just my own personal rant. So, look, again, I'm loving these episodes. We've got Operation Genoa, like, heating up now. We know that it's a fake story. We know that Jerry's doctored the tape of the general saying it happened. But we've got a lot of supporting evidence there that tells us that it isn't fake. So, where's the disconnect? Obviously, we're going to catch up on that in the next couple of episodes. So that'll be episode 13. But the story's getting so good. The tension with everyone is you could cut it with a knife. Jerry is probably the most divisive character ever on the show. Actually, he's not. Next season is the most divisive character as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, But he's certainly up there. He's certainly the villain of this piece. Whereas it was sort of Leona and Reese last season. This season, Jerry is the one. And I think that the relationships in the show have really started to meld now. So you've got Don and Sloane. There's something going there. There's something happening. Don's always jealous whenever Sloane's out on a date. And whenever they're together, there always seems to be some good chemistry. Will and Mac, there's still tension between them, but he's just ended his relationship with Nina. So maybe he's starting to realise that Mac was speaking the truth all along. You've got Hallie and Jim and their developing relationship. At first, they were at odds with each other. Now, they seem to be together. And then you've got poor Maggie. Like, I don't know what it is with Maggie's. I must want to date one because I love Maggie in A Million Little Things and I love Maggie in the newsroom. So, I don't know. But I hate what happened to her. But I like the red hair, so I'm conflicted. Not that I'm saying that that has to happen for her to get red hair. She could have dyed her hair red any time, but I kind of like it, so. But that's enough for me. You've heard my political rants, you've heard me having a go at the media, and you've heard me review this show, so I thank you again. You guys are great. I'm loving the numbers. I'm loving going into my Spotify app and seeing that, that number just slowly creeping up. It's great, and I'm thankful for you guys, so hope you're all well, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Well, that's all for now, amigos. If you managed to make it to the end of my ramblings, thank you. And if you want to rate, share, subscribe, comment, it's all appreciated. Until next time.